Welcome to Sort of the Story. I'm Janie. And I'm Max. And this is the podcast where we tell each other stories like fairy tales and folk tales and mythology. And also, Pepper is here <laughs> ringing her goddamn bell. <laughs> she heard us say hello and thought, mm, I'm being invited in. Mm-hmm. Pepper's our co-host for today's episode. Uh, she'll be telling us a story about how one time she ate her own poop and then threw up. Hold on. She just jumped in my lap so I could take off her collar. Very nice. 10 out of 10 manners, Pepper. Good job, Pepper. Now, if you could just not be a, an asshole throughout this entire rest of this episode, that'd be great, Pepper. Hey, hey, where did Pepper learn her manners? Where? At Catillion. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you save that excellent content for our test? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have that joke before. <laughs> what do you call it when Pepper is on this podcast? A podcast. <laughs> No, a catastrophe. Oh. <laughs> you sure it's not podcasts? It's a podcast catastrophe. <laughs> well, this is the podcast indeed. Uh, it's for cats, but it's not for children. So if you are a child, even though those jokes were a preschool tier, <laughs> you are not allowed to listen to this. Yeah. Uh, Max, we're on episode 85. That's a lot of episodes. That's, some say too many episodes. Mm-hmm. I've heard it said on the streets. Should we stop? Yeah. Oh. Anyway, guys, have a great day. <laughs> uh, nope, we're never going to stop. We're going to do this. We have to get to episode 420. We um, do have to get to 420 and then we can stop. And then we can stop. Unless we decide to keep going to 6969. <laughs> nice, nice. Mm. That's the uh, episode so nice we did it twice. <laughs> Okay, I just had a I had I felt had the sensation of like standing on the edge of a cliff and staring down into the abyss at the we concept of like, doing <laughs> thousand episodes. Yeah, I was going to say we would be like at least in our 80s, right? I don't know if we could do that in our lifetime with working on the current schedule. Okay, we're going to have to double up. <laughs> yeah, maybe triple up. One podcast episode every day. What do mm-hmm. you guys think? Do you think that we would get through it? Because sometimes we do them twice a week and we're not good on the second one. No, we get so tired. Speaking of, mm-hmm. listen to the bonus episodes by joining our Patreon. <laughs> yeah, for just $7 a month, you can join our Patreon at the Team Troll level. Story Babies level. For $7, you can join the Story Babies level, which I know the name of. Yeah. Uh, and you get one full bonus episode every month for and free with the purchase pretty. of seven dollars <laughs> and they are pretty good the last bonus episode max told a haunted cowboy story oh that one was so good it was so good yeah. i'm editing it now and you can like there's like there's a rhyme johnny cash does a rhyme to it and like mm-hmm. he's on our episode <laughs> no big deal johnny cash was here what do you call pepper married to johnny cash never mind she's not married to him Johnny Cats. <laughs> That's the joke. <laughs> that was a, a bad joke. <laughs> I'm a little sick, if you guys can't tell. We're stopping the Patreon ad for me to know, tell you. The reason why my voice sounds like this is because I am, once again, sick. <laughs> but the school year's almost over. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Two more days of teaching kids. Okay, so join our Patreon for $3 a month. You can join the Team Troll tier, which is access to our Discord, and you can chat with us on a daily basis if you would like Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's a very fun little community over there 
And for $7 a month, you can join our Story Babies tier and you get an extra bonus episode. You get episodes a day early and a bunch of other cool stuff will come eventually as we figure out what Patreon is and how it works. Mm-hmm. So, Also, if you're on our Patreon already and you have ideas for things that you would like us to include in the Patreon, let us know, goddammit. We're not mind readers. Hey, you know what? We're trying our best. <laughs> <laughs> We're both so tired all the time. Also, my hair. I don't care. <laughs> I've... What? <laughs> they don't, on the Patreon. They don't want your... Oh, oh, they might want your hair for yeah. spells. If you want to buy my hair on Patreon, send us a message. I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> what if we had a, a sort of the story only fans where we didn't do any sex stuff, but every once in a while we'll say like, uh, we'll just drop in a dirty word into the podcast. Ooh. Yeah. We're like... Scrotum. <laughs> dirty. <laughs> We're like, anyway, so then Rumpelstiltskin appeared to the woman and screwed him. <laughs> said, I'm here to take your baby. <laughs> Let in us know if that's club. something you want. Would you like that? <laughs> you said, like in Fight Club? Yeah, like in Fight Club, how they how he splices in, like, the pictures of when he is the movie operator. Like the subliminal the messaging? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not just a Fight Club thing. <laughs> no, I know, but that happens in Fight Club where he's like, I used to work as a movie theater projector operator and I would splice in like a single frame from a porn in a movie and everyone would be like, what was that? But they could never prove anything. <laughs> I don't. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. <laughs> just like in Fight Club, just like we are going to invent subliminal messaging. <laughs> if you play this podcast backwards, it's definitely going to tell you the secret to the universe. Okay, you joke, but we did do like a six-month-long subliminal messaging bit. We did do a six-month-long subliminal messaging <laughs> bit. Do you guys forgive us yet? Let us know in the Discord for $3. Okay. <laughs> Give us $3 to say no that you don't forgive us and you hate us now. Yeah. Um. Uh, we will accept that criticism for $3. Yeah. Janie, would you like to tell me a story today? I would love to tell you a story. I'm excited about my story today. Why don't you fucking try it then? Okay, I will try my best. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll do that right now. Good. Okay, let's get started. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Okay, Max. Janie, okay. Max, okay. So, (laughs) my story today is from the book, The Girl Who Helped Thunder and Other Native American Folktales, retold by James Bruchak and his son, Joseph Bruchak. You've used this, this book before, and it's very cool. Isn't it so pretty? It's just a very pretty little book. It also matches my book on Jewish folktales, The Hungry Clothes. Mm-hmm. We put it together last time that they have the exact same, like, colorings, and, like, they're set up the same way, and it's the same publisher. So huh. I'm slowly collecting all of their little books. Love it. And it's a publisher who specifically grabs people, I feel like, at least from these ones. <laughs> they grab them? They grab them. They're kidnappers. <laughs> <laughs> publishing company that wants to do like what it seems like folktales from around the world and they get authors from those cultures to write the folktales and i'm like that's fucking cool and also we never see that yeah it's rare like james and joseph bruchak are both uh, abenaki i believe and like fucking cool so anyway uh that's a plug for this book i really love it (laughs) so i opened it up i was like episode 85 what do i want to do today and i decided i wanted to do a native american folktale right And I landed on this story that sounded so familiar. I'm going to tell you why at the end. Mm -hmm. So this is The Sister and Her Seven Brothers. It's a Cheyenne tale. What? Is it Snow White? No, but but (laughs) no, except that weirdly in a lot of places, yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There once was a little girl named Red Leaf. Uh, Also, I have to say right off the bat, this is the version that James Bruchak is retelling. Okay. There, There are other versions that have very different themes, right? But this is from James Ruchak. Cool. 
There once was a little girl named Redleaf. She lived in a little lodge with her grandmother, who taught her how to make moccasins and robes, how to bead and how to sew, and she was pretty happy, right? She was a very accomplished little girl, (laughs) very talented, but she was lonely. Because she was an only child, and she Aww. wanted brothers. Aw. <laughs> I feel like every little girl goes through this period where they're like, wouldn't no. it be greater if I had, like, older brothers? No. I did. I only had sisters. <laughs> I didn't – I was an only child until I had a baby brother, and I was like, mm, this uh, this is cramping my style. I didn't want a little brother. I love brother. my baby brother a whole lot, but – She says – When he was born, I was – her fingers. <laughs> <laughs> when he was born, I was like, fuck this. <laughs> okay, I was also like that because little girls – I think little girls mostly would like older brothers because it would sound really cool. But no little girl wants a little brother. You want a little sister. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was like. So it sounds like what you were like. And Mm -hmm. we're the only two people that matter. Yep. (laughs) That's a universal thought now. (laughs) Okay. Just like how frogs are boys and toads are girls. (laughs) Yes. And according to you, dogs are boys and cats are girls. Yes. Yes. So poor Leaf. (laughs) (laughs) So it just so happened that seven brothers lived nearby and this is making me think that maybe she wanted brothers because she saw all these brothers being brothers together and she's like wouldn't that be fun i'm over here fucking stuck sewing this is bullshit stupid (laughs) stupid they lived on their own i have no idea where their parents went it's just seven boys alone she should adopt them and this little girl is like you're my babies now (laughs) and every day the older six would go out and hunt and they would leave the youngest whose name was moxoas to stay at home and watch their little camp I don't know how old Muxoas is supposed to be in this particular book. In other stories, he's little like she is. So mm. they're both like around 10. In this story, he seems a lot older. Hmm. I only say that because later on I say he's hot. <laughs> I didn't realize huh. that in other stories he's a 10-year-old. I think that he's aged up in The Girl Who Held the Thunder. Good to know. <laughs> and I'm going to imagine him as like older. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... <laughs> Redleaf had noticed all of this. She was like, wow, okay, so they live alone, a bunch of boys. There's one of them who stays behind every day. She's like, mm, okay, I've made a decision. She goes to her grandmother and she says, Grandma, I'm going to ask those seven boys down the road if they want to be my brothers. And the grandma's like, great, that's a good idea. And she's like, cool, I'll take care of their home and then they can hunt for food and we'll love each other and we'll take care of each other forever and ever and I'll be their little sister and it'll be great. And the grandma's like, that is a really good idea. Okay, Mm -hmm. yes, I support this. She told Redleaf to take seven of her finest beaded robes and seven pairs of new moccasins as offerings to her new brother and then to get the fuck out of the (laughs) the lodge. (laughs) So Redleaf, arms piled high with gifts, walks over to the home of the brothers and she calls out to them. But no one answered. And she sees that the door is open. And she's like, well, they must be out hunting. And Moxoas had actually gone. He had been at home, but he had gone to the creek to get water. And so he had, like, left the lodge door open. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, okay. So she pokes her head in. She confirms they are, in fact, all gone. And she decided to just kind of walk in and make herself at home. (laughs) She puts the robes and moccasins on each of their beds. There's seven beds, just like Snow White. And then she sat down by the fire and she stirred the soup that was cooking on the fire. And so when Muxos gets back, he is, like, startled because there's just this little girl sitting in his kitchen. And he's like, uh, hi. What? (laughs) And also, Uh, here's some shoes. (laughs) This is what he says in the story. He says, quote, Little neighbor, you are welcome. But why are you here? Where did those fine robes and moccasins come from? He calls her little neighbor. It's so So cute. She explained that they were gifts from her. And she's like, I came here to ask if you wanted a little sister, maybe. And I brought you presents. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) 
This is adorable. It's this is super cute. It reminds me of like Wendy and the Lost Boys a little bit. Also, yeah. they need a mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this little girl's like, you need a mother to stir your soup and give you shoes, <laughs> like moms do. <laughs> I need a mom to stir my soup and give me shoes. Uh, I so stir your soup all the time, dude. <laughs> that's true. Uh, and I only wear one pair of shoes, and it's that ratty pair of Toms. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so he was like, "Listen, I think this is a great idea." So. If you're just asking me, yes. But it's not just up to me. we got to ask my brothers. But, like, they're going to say yes. So, like, don't even worry about that. Uh, <laughs> let me help you stir the soup. And then they just hang out all day. <laughs> Stirring some soup. <laughs> yeah. Red Leaf and Mok Soas are, like, best friends immediately. He's like, Aww. yeah, you're my sister. Duh. <laughs> so the older brothers come home and they also love this idea. She's obviously very handy, uh, as evidenced by her, like, fine sewing skills and the fact that she stirs soup like a champion. And also, she's very sweet, and they love her immediately. So she moved into their lodge. Like, fuck their grandma, I guess. Like, where's yeah, the grandma? The she just she does not come up again. When the six older brothers would leave to hunt, they would leave Red Leaf behind, and Moxoas would also still stay behind. And he was in charge of guarding her and the house. And Moxoas hated this arrangement. He's like, this? What? What? Why am I still – there's now another person here. <laughs> How come I'm still here? He loved Red Leaf, but also he's like, I am the best shot with a bow and arrow. I am proven to be the best hunter, and also I'm young and I'm scrappy and I want to hunt. And they would never <laughs> let him go with them. And so Aww. he's like, this isn't fair. And I agree. So one day he kind of had had enough, and so he decided to go out and hunt for a bit. He's like, Red Leaf, you got this, right? And she's like, I guess. <laughs> he's like, okay, bye. And then he like fucks off to go hunt. The second he was gone, a stranger came to the door. And that stranger was a big old bull. It was Great Buffalo Bull, not to be confused with Buffalo Bill. I was going to say. Which is different. And I kept typing Buffalo Bill and then erasing it on the computer. He knocks on the door and he's like, sorry, I just have a question for you. Would you fuck me? I'd I'd fuck fuck me. me. (laughs) Oh, what a nightmare. What a different story that would be. Oh, horrifying. (laughs) Redleaf, run! So the great buffalo bull yelled out that Redleaf was to come with him so she could cook for him. <laughs> He's like, I huh. hear you're real good at stirring soup. Stir my soup! Also, I need shoes. Yeah. I'll go through... Th- I'll go through the differences a little bit in the other versions of this story, because this is so different that I'm like, mm, James Bruchak, where'd you get this version? And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But in the versions that I grew up with of the story, he sends a little cow first there's buffalo calf comes in and is like hi you gotta come with me because you are quill worker you are really good with working with like porcupine quills and stuff and you make buffalo hides beautiful and we'd like to be beautiful so can you please come with me and they're like no you can't have our little sister and she's like no and the buffalo calf's like all right well like go fuck yourself then i'm sending somebody bigger than me bye and he like runs off and the next day buffalo cow comes and buffalo cow is like you gotta come with me so we can all be like fancy and beautiful cool and she's like no uh no thank you and buffalo cow's like somebody bigger than me is coming but in this version buffalo bull comes and it's just like you have to stir my soup <laughs> that does seem more like a buffalo bill thing right it's like heard you're good at stitching flesh <laughs> let's make some decorative uh stuff out of our skin a hundred percent oh you are totally right uh-huh. <laughs> the silence of the bulls <laughs> um so <laughs> well now i'm all excited about a different thing <laughs> Uh, guys, Silence of the Lambs is my favorite book in the world, and I will be do- one day doing a whole podcast, a whole separate podcast about Silence of the Lambs. I got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and you guys have to hear him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Buffalo Bull 
tore through the camp, using his horns to knock down the door, and he carried Redleaf, like, right out of the lodge. So when Muxoas comes back, he saw that the camp was destroyed and their little sister had been taken. And buffalo tracks were leading out of the camp, so he knew immediately who had taken her. And he's like, oh, fuck, I fucked up. And so as soon as his brothers got home, he ran to them and told them everything that happened. And so at first they were stumped, because Great Buffalo Bull was basically impossible to kill. He's magic. (laughs) And he's sure. huge. And so they were like, ah, our arrows aren't powerful enough to just, like, kill him right out. And he can kill her really easily. We've got to get a gun. <laughs> <laughs> this is the invention of the Winchester rifle. <laughs> Don't listen to the uh, Propaganda. to the liberal media that tells you that it was made by a man named Winchester. So the oldest brother had an idea. Because he exists. <laughs> so he says, mm-hmm. we must build a place to keep our sister and then steal her away from him. So we need to, like, first have a place to take her and then what go about, get her. What about the house that they were all already in? Well, so they use the house, but they need to, like, fortify it. Okay. So basically, they used big logs to make four corrals, one in front of the other, right? Um, and then in the innermost corral that's closest to their house, Muxoas scattered sand from four anthills. And that one was... The Golden Corral. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good. I imagine all the little ants as little waiters. <laughs> so, oh, are there ants also, or is it just dirt from ant hills? I don't know. I assume you would pick up some ants, right? This is all going to come back later, so don't you worry. Oh, good. When they were finished, they followed the giant buffalo's tracks until they came to a hill where the entire herd was grazing, and in the center of that hill, Redleaf sat. She had her robe over her shoulders, and then in front of her was Great Buffalo Bull keeping watch over her and his herd. And so each brother had brought his medicine bag. And now the oldest brother decided to use it. His medicine bag was made from the skin of a blackbird. Mm-hmm. So he brought it to his mouth and he said, hey, tell my sister that we're here. <laughs> and the bag transformed into a blackbird and then flew off to deliver his message. And was like, fuck you. You turned me into a bag. I'm not doing shit for you. <laughs> he was like, tell my sister I'm here. And he's like, tweet, tweet. And then he flew away. <laughs> he was like, wow, that bird has a dirty mouth. And then the bird shit on him. <laughs> yeah. So, however, Great Buffalo Bull saw the blackbird flying and was like, blackbird, this is the quote, blackbird, go away or I will look at you and you will fall down dead. And the blackbird is like, tweet, tweet, <laughs> which was like, I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> so the blackbird flew off without getting near Redleaf and returned to the oldest brother, told him what happened and then became a bag again. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So this sec- Is there anything in the bag? No, I think that it's just their, their that's their medicine that's their medicine is it turns into birds and stuff. Mm, sounds very Buffalo Bill. <laughs> He's just got a a handsome little clutch made out of a bird. <laughs> a dead a, bird. A woman. <laughs> So the second brother's medicine bag was made from a coyote skin. So he told it to go tell Redleaf that they were there to rescue her. And the bag transformed into a quick little coyote and it skulked off towards the herd. But Great Buffalo Bull saw it immediately and said, go away or I'm going to look at you and you're going to fall down dead. And the coyote was like, okay, bye. (laughs) Sorry for inconveniencing you, sir. (laughs) So the third brother's bag was made from the skin of a crow. And it was spotted as well because blackbirds and crow don't seem like they're that different. So finally, the fourth brother's medicine bag was made from a little yellow bird. I just, that, it's not very well done. Mm-hmm. Blackbird, coyote, crow, which is too similar to blackbird, mm-hmm. and then yellow bird. They're just, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not weird great. that there's three birds and a coyote. Yeah. So the little yellow bird is super tiny, right? And it managed to get past the great buffalo's defenses. It landed on Redleaf's shoulder and it chirped quietly, tweet, tweet. <laughs> 
which means <laughs> your brothers are coming to rescue you. And it says, cover yourself with your robe and pretend to go to sleep. And so she does that. So when the bird returned, Moxoas stepped forward and said, hey, guys, I really fucked up. I got to be the one to go get Red Leaf back. And they were like, yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> good. Yes, you. And so this was good because this is where we find out that Muxoas has superpowers beyond the medicine bags. Oh, cool. Yeah. So first he closed his eyes and he sent a strong thought of sleep toward the giant buffalo. I do this every day with my kids and it never works. <laughs> a short time later, great buffalo bull lowered his head and fell asleep. Afterwards, Muxoas pulled out his medicine bag, which was made from a gopher skin. And he told it like, hey, go dig a tunnel to Redleaf. And the, <laughs> Why don't you go for it? <laughs> Why don't you go for it? And the gopher said, squeak, squeak. <laughs> I miss my family. <laughs> <laughs> Transformed into a gopher, one single tear going down a sheet. And it started digging. Kill me. <laughs> So he followed the gopher into its tunnel, and soon they made their way all the way up under Red Leaf's road. They just, like, tunneled right to her. And so he took her by the hand, and he pulled her into the tunnel, and he's like, listen, go through this tunnel, follow the gopher, until you get back to our brothers, okay? I'm going to stay here. I need to see what's going to happen. And so she does that. She makes it back to the brothers. Soon, Great Buffalo Bull woke up and he walked over to Redleaf's robe and he hooked it aside with his horns and he saw that she was gone. And when he saw that, he started to rage and stomp and the earth shook with his fury and his bellows could be heard from far away. And then he and his herd began to rush towards the hill where Moxoas had gone to this hill to keep watch, right? So before the buffalo could reach him, Moxoas, I think this is so cool. I, this, it's, this is a very cool thing. Before the buffalo could reach him, Moxoas lifted his bow and shot an arrow towards his house. And this is a quote. When the arrow struck the ground, Moxoas was beside it. He fired a second, a third, and then a fourth. And each time the arrow would strike the ground, he would appear there. So it was like he's traveling with his arrow and like space jumping. Isn't that fucking cool? That's cool. Yeah, that's a really cool native superpower Mm -hmm. to have. Uh, So soon he was standing amongst his brothers and his sister. So he told them to get ready because the buffalo herd was on their way. So they ran inside their camp just in time for great buffalo bull to send an old buffalo ahead as a messenger. And he said, quote, Redleaf, come back with me or great buffalo bull will come and get you. And Muxoas called back that he could do whatever he wants, but he wouldn't get their sister. <laughs> and if he tried, he'd get one of these. And then he shot and killed the old buffalo. Oh, Christ. Yeah. Well, now he can't tell him that. Yep. So Great Buffalo Bull sent three more buffalo with the same message, and Muxoas killed all three of them. And was like, you're not getting my sister, so uh, now you die. And also, why didn't you listen to all of my other messages that I sent? Oh, wait. And the buffalo were like, grunt, grunt, dead. (laughs) (laughs) So eventually, Great Buffalo Bull himself stepped forward and screamed, quote, Red Leaf, you know my power, come out now. And Red Leaf, who was terrified, turned to her brothers and begged them to let her go with them, because she didn't want them to get hurt and she knew the odds of defeating him were like really really slim but her brothers refused to let her go they were like nope you're our sister we're not sending you off with a big old buffalo who's mean (laughs) so no he hasn't done anything really has Um, he he's kind of he seems like he's their nemesis in general oh okay well if it's a nemesis he is the type of buffalo that like destroys people and like destroys whole camps and kidnaps girls you know i didn't realize that there were buffalo supervillains. Have you ever um, heard of Silence of the Lambs? <laughs> There's a character named Buffalo Bill <laughs> who is a supervillain. Wow. Would you fuck him? <laughs> I'd fuck him. <laughs> so Muxoas told her that if Buffalo Bull tried to grab her, he would kill him. So he's like, it's not going to happen. If he tries to grab you, he's dead. 
And so hearing this, because apparently Muxos is not whispering, <laughs> the great <laughs> buffalo was enraged. He t- charged and he tore apart the first corral with his horns really easily. Then he tore through the second one and the third just like they were paper. But when he got to the fourth, the sand from the anthills began to grow, and they turned into a huge wall of stone, and Buffalo Bull had to ram over and over and over. And as he's, like, charging at the stone, it's, like, cracking and chipping off, and it gives them a little bit of time. But it's starting to crumble. And so Redleaf, again, is like, please let me go. He's going to come in here and kill you, and I really don't want to watch you all die. And Muxoas is like, no, no, we're not out of options yet. Don't worry. So he shot an arrow at the ground, and it grew into a huge tree. Because, mm. again, Muxoas has a lot of superpowers. Why were they leaving him behind? <laughs> he hoisted Redleaf up, and he tells her to start climbing. And then her brothers all follow behind until Muxoas was the last one left. He followed them up, and he was keeping an eye on Buffalo Bull the whole time. Eventually, Buffalo Bull broke through the stone wall and charged the tree. It shook, but it did not fall. Like big pieces of wood were flying off the trunk, but the tree was holding steady while they were on it, right? But they're like swaying up there. Mm-hmm. And Muxoas called down, quote, we are leaving the earth, but it will be too dangerous for the other people if we allow you to live. So he fired his last arrow, which struck Great Buffalo Bull in the spot where he had hidden his heart, end quote. Hmm. Apparently he had hidden his heart and that was why he couldn't do it. Where? I don't know. In the balls. So oh, in his <laughs> underwear drawer. <laughs> so then Muxoas climbed up after his siblings. They made it all the way to the sky where they turned into the seven stars and their companion, which is the Big Dipper. Uh, and this is the last word in the last line in the story. Quote, you can see them there to this day. Redleaf is the head star, while little Muxoas is the small star off to the one side, faithfully keeping watch over their camp in the sky. The end. Aww. Okay, so this is the origin story. This is the Cheyenne origin story of the Big Dipper, right? Mm-hmm. The constellation. So some notes on this one, of course. James and Joseph Bruchak sourced the story as having heard it told live about 30 years ago, I'm assuming from a Cheyenne storyteller, but also finding an alternate version in Grace Jackson Penny's book, Tales of the Cheyenne, published in 1953. I looked her up. She did a lot of Native American literature and folklore. Not a Native person, but that's mm-hmm. Grace Jackson. There's another version that can be found in a childhood favorite of mine that I grew up with. And this was like, I I associate Savannah with this, my sister, just because I think this was her book, technically. And then I just stole it as an adult. Sure. Um, (laughs) But this one is called Quill Worker, A Cheyenne Legend. It's written and adapted by Terry Colleen and illustrated by Charles Reasoner, neither of whom are Native. I did not know that. If you are Native American and you have any any like even small ties to your native culture uh, growing up, you probably know Terry Colleen. You probably know this book very well, and it might unlock a few memories for you. I didn't realize until I was doing my thesis that Terry Colleen is not a native author. Um, mm-hmm. And that really surprised me. Uh, I was like, huh, that's really weird. Because this was like, this is one of the most famous books. Like, I, again, everyone I knew on my native side had this book and knew it. Um, it's a cool little book. Basically, Quillworker, it's this story, except there are some differences. Her name is Quillworker, not Redleaf. And she is a, um, her name is Quillwork Girl. And she works with porcupine quills. And she actually gets a dream. This is how the, the normal story goes, like the most common one. This little girl is living with her mom and her dad. She has no siblings. And she starts being like plagued by these dreams that tell her that she has to travel to find seven men living in like a teepee because uh, the Cheyenne also this this story okay there's a lot of really weird things that James Bruchak did the Cheyenne are plains in, they're Algonquin but like they're plains Indians they have 
teepees. They don't live in lodges because hmm. they travel with buffalo herds. It's the same as the Sioux. They're they're basically like loose allies. And so I thought it was weird that he has them living in lodges when I do think that it's way more traditionally and historically accurate to have them in teepees. Yeah. Um, which matters <laughs> when you're telling a story about yeah. multiple different types of things. But anyway, so she realizes I have to go and find these seven boys. And so she makes all these different um, robes and stuff like that. And then she travels on foot finds the boys. It turns out the littlest one who doesn't have a name, he is like, I sent you that dream. I'm somebody who can send dreams. And I knew that you were coming here. My brothers are going to be really happy to see you because you're our sister now. I knew that you had to be here. And then he also knew that the buffaloes were going to come and try to get her. And he's like, I have the power to bring us up to the sky. And she's like, really? And he's like, yeah, but that'll come in handy later. <laughs> and then they go up so high and the buffalo knocks down their tree. Like he actually knocks it down and they get stuck in a cloud. And she's like, what now? And he's like, we keep going. And then he brings them all the way up and turns them into constellations. Oh, Yeah. So that's like, James Bruchak changed some details. And I'm wondering if it's because of Grace Jackson Penny, who's a non-native author who was writing in 1953, if she changed a lot of details. And then he got his sources from there instead of going back to the Cheyenne people and asking them their legends. But mm. who knows? Uh, Quill Worker, by the way, I'm going to put a picture of it. It's Because uh, again, it's iconic. And it's such a cool little story to have anyway, even though it's a bummer that Terry Colleen is not native, but it ends, all of these ones end with kind of like a biography on the Cheyenne and there's like historical pictures and there's maps and there's lots of cool detail about the Cheyenne people. Mm -hmm. Like most things that I get annoyed about when talking about Native American literature and retelling Native American folktales, it does treat the Cheyenne as if they don't exist anymore because it's all historic pictures of them like shirtless or like their ancient stuff and like historic pictures of teepees instead of like also mentioning that they are a thriving community of modern people who live (laughs) in houses. (laughs) Yeah. Those are all like the black and white, like almost like tin type pictures when fully still around, you know, this is the reason why my nephew, my sister Monica was telling me that my nephew was in school and he was, you know, they were doing a test around Thanksgiving and they said, what did the Indians believe what did the Native Americans believe? And he didn't answer the question and said he crossed out the question and he just said, what do the Native Americans believe? Like he just changed it. And then in the answer portion, he said, we're still here. Damn. <laughs> I'm not fucking answering that. <laughs> God damn. And I was like, yeah, Joaquin, that makes sense. That's a shitty way to ask a question. But also that's just things like this kind of have, kind of perpetuate that in my head, you know, of like they don't exist anymore. And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. They absolutely do. Uh, and the tribes are all different. And it's yeah. important to, uh, it's important, I don't know, it's just important to be accurate when you're writing stories like this. Yeah, that's the other thing is that in that question, it's like, okay, which ones? Where? Mm. Which group of people? About what? What do they believe about what? You because know? it's a huge fucking group of like 600 different federally recognized and also not recognized tribes of people across North America, including the Canadian First Nations people and like indigenous groups in Mexico. So like, what what so are you talking yeah. about? They don't. So what speak, do they all believe? <laughs> they don't all speak the same language either, and so it's just very frustrating. But so that's this one, Quill Worker, a Cheyenne legend. There's also another children's book version of this that I also had on my shelves. Uh, it's beautifully illustrated by Paul Goebel. It's a a staple in Plains Indians literature. He was a very very famous man from England who came and made friends with the Sioux basically and then just sat there and then all of his books are Sioux stories. Also not native, (laughs) but 
had a very close working relationship with the native people and was writing and like, you know, gave back a lot of stuff to the native people. But again, eh, this story, it's beautiful, right? I'm not saying they're not beautiful. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have them on your shelves because you should. And I have them on my shelves and I loved growing up with these stories, but it highlights the problem that we have a lack of native stories told by native authors. James and Joseph Brusak are native. They're specifically Abenaki, which is an Algonquin speaking tribe, and the Cheyenne are Algonquin. Their their language is Algonquin. So the stories are probably similar. So some of the stuff he changed, maybe he's just I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and saying that maybe he changed them because he wasn't necessarily taking them from the Cheyenne, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Paul Goebel writing about them makes sense because the Sioux and the Cheyenne are very closely kind of connected. They don't speak the same languages, but they are loose like allies. So the stories probably did, you know, cross over quite a bit. But it's frustrating that no matter how far you look, it's nearly impossible to find a published version of this very, very famous story written by a Cheyenne author. And I think we as a society need to fucking change that because the further I get into researching for this podcast the more frustrating it gets that no matter what you look at, you are going to fall into the same thing of there's very few works of literature written by native people that are getting the recognition that they deserve. Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of white people are making a lot of money off of native stories. Yes, that's very (laughs) true. And it's also a complicated issue because it's like, is it better for the stories to be told by someone? Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's a complicated thing and it's not a question that I feel like, we can necessarily prescribe an answer to consistently or anything across different groups, but it is, it is a complication. It is something that is like morally sort of. Mm. It's, it wouldn't be as complicated if we didn't actively, we, if the publishing industry didn't actively also shut out. Yes. Native authors. The main thing is that, you know, like Terry Colleen, she and Charles Wiesner, they did a great job. This book is so iconically illustrated when I look at it, I just, I see my entire childhood flash before my eyes. Like, this was such an important <laughs> book to us. The buffalo are so fucking scary. Look yeah. how terrifying these are. Oh they're so God. cool. Yeah, they're fucking awesome. This is also a traditionally illustrated book, and it's very much in the style of, like, native illustrations and stuff. It's not that it's not good. It's just that, like, my sister was telling me, my sister Andrea, who works with, she works with, like, people on reservations and, like, schools, and she's, like, a social worker, like, advocate for people in, on in Native communities. And she was telling me that she was, like, they have literature, like, storytelling conferences where they will pay authors who are famous, like Terry Colleen, thousands of dollars and fly them in and give them first class treatment. Mm -hmm. And you have to fight for the elders in the actual native communities to be able to get there and they don't compensate them and they don't pay for their travel. And when they get there, they sometimes don't have places to sit. And it's like, these are the elders. Fucking give them a chair. What are you doing? These are the ones where Terry, like, this is the ones where they heard the stories from and they are you know, just not welcome, basically, or made to feel like they are not welcome because they aren't given the same opportunities as these white authors. And it's like, just ask a native, literally just go in and ask, hey, (laughs) yeah, it's not hard to find them because native people are storytellers and they're out there writing constantly. 
Yeah. It's frustrating. Um, and if you're a publisher, fucking do better. <laughs> do better. Okay. Well, that was a rant that I didn't mean to get so angry on. But uh, <laughs> Quill Worker slash The Sister and Her Seven Brothers. I'm going to put all of these links to all of these stories. And if you recognize Quill Worker from your childhood, please hit me up. <laughs> we might get along. We had a book that I can remember very few details on, but I read it in first grade. And then we put on a play based mm-hmm. on the book. Um, and it was the book Buffalo Jump. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Mm -mm. It was about, like, the driving of the buffalo and how they would, like, run buffalo off of a cliff uh, or something like that. And it was, like, this little boy who wasn't allowed to, but then it turns out he was – I don't remember. But (laughs) we had to – we did a musical about it. Cute. uh, In first grade. And – First of all, I'm really glad that there weren't pictures because oh, it was no. 2001. And you guys were all dressed up with 100%. your braids, little squaws. <laughs> yeah, like the – yeah, I'm sure that it, it Like the was Adams not, family. Uh. Yes, almost exactly like that oh, yeah. is what I'm picturing. Um, but also, like, the main song is, like – the lyrics are Buffalo Jump, Feel the Thunder, Buffalo Jump, Across the Plains. Yeah. And sometimes I get Ooh. that stuck in my head and it sucks. <laughs> That's a cool. It's real catchy. That is catchy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really weird. It's really weird because you want kids to be able to connect with different cultures, but mm-hmm. also how do you do it in a way that is respectful that and, is respectful and meaningful and ethical. And also that acknowledges the difference between like ancient stories and modern stories. You, you know? know how you do that is you invite modern yep. native storytellers to your school. They did that with my dad. My dad actually went my dad is Dakota Sioux. And they took him or they invited him to my nephew's school a couple years ago because they were studying like Native American, like they were doing a whole lesson on Native Americans, like a certain group. I don't even know. And so he got to go and do a presentation. He had a slideshow. My sister made a slideshow because she's really good at it. And like <laughs> he taught them like Sue words and they got to do some stuff. He led them in a little art project. He answered questions. All these little kids had so many cute little questions and they were so specific and so good. And he got to tell them about like just so it was like you saw a modern person that wasn't dressed like he wasn't wearing regalia. He was just like a normal dad. He was a grandpa, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but also got to share a lot about his culture. And it was cool. They learned like color words and words for like buffalo and stuff like that. And I'm like, yes, that's how you do this, though. Yeah, I uh, I was really lucky. <laughs> I grew up in a moderately wealthy, very hippie white people area of Virginia Yeah, um, that really – for for all of the flaws of the area that I grew up in, they it was a lot of people who like were really into multiculturalism in like the sixties and seventies. Yeah. So they really had an eye to that. So in my elementary school, we had this couple who would come in, and they were friends with one of the teachers, I think, or with the principal. And they would come in, and they were from Africa. And again, it, this was elementary school, so I'm not going to hazard a guess as to where in Africa, but they were from Africa, mm-hmm. and they came in and they brought like little drums that the kids could use not Mm -hmm. not bongos but like the little like hand drums um that you would like put between your knees and everything and they would come in and they would set up in the gym and it was also they were the coolest couple he had like dreads that he always had like up like in these really cool buns on top of his head and everything like that yeah and she was just gorgeous she had like beads in her hair all the time oh my god um and they dressed so cool also. Like, sometimes they would wear, like, the, like, patterned, like, mud cloths and stuff like that. But yeah. they, they would also wear, like, jeans. Yeah. Um, which is very <laughs> cool. It was a very cool thing to see as a kid of, like, oh, these aren't people from the ancient past and, like, the pictures that you see of, like, people who live in Africa. It's mm-hmm. like, no, that's still a thing now. And he's also wearing Skechers. Like, <laughs> yeah. Which is a very cool thing. But they would come into the gym and, like, some of the kids would get the little hand drums and they would tell stories. And she would sing and dance and everything. And he would play the drums. Yeah. 
and they would tell stories together. And one of the things that they would do is like call and response stories. So mm-hmm. it was like, ago is like, I'm going to start. And then ame is I'm listening. Oh, like um, bones and tiles. Exactly like that. Yeah. So, crick and crack. So they would call out Ago and all of the kids would go, Ame! Oh, I love it <laughs> and so much. And it was much. very cute. Um, it was like, it was amazing. And also he was amazing with the drum. And so we got to like see all of this really cool talent and hear all of these stories told in a very traditional and very beautiful way yeah. that also incorporated a lot of the modernity of like people who are expats from Africa living in the United States yeah. uh, in 2001. It's cool so, shit. It's cool yeah, shit. it was very, very cool. It was, I... Shit like that should happen for every kid. It should. It should. That should be way better about... that. We should have it worked into our curriculum way better. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, with all of that, Max, do you want to take a little break? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, Janie. Okay, Max. The story that I have for you today is a real bummer. Oh, exciting. Uh, It's really sad and really beautiful. It does deal with themes of like recovering from emotional trauma and things like that, as well as familial abuse. So just so everyone has their eyes open on the way in, but it is a really beautiful story and I'm really excited to tell you. Okay, I'm excited. This story is called The Skeleton Woman. And I have it in a collection that I had never heard of, but has apparently spent two years on the New York Times bestseller list and has (laughs) sold over a million copies. What? Uh, It's Women Who Run With the Wolves, Myths and Stories of the Wild Woman Archetype by uh, Clarissa Pincola Estes, PhD. Cool. It's a feminist perspective on like different folk tales from around the world, specifically like ideas about like the philosophy of feminism and like the, the components of womanhood, like psychologically and socially through the view of folk tales that demonstrate those characteristics. Mm-hmm. I didn't read much of it, but it is very cool. It is yeah. a little bit a little bit dense at times, but I am excited to read through all of this because uh, it has a lot of really cool stories in it from, again, this is one of those ones where it's like actually all around the world. Cool. Which I'm really excited about. So <laughs> the story that I'm going to tell is an Inuit story. And Clarissa Pincola Estes heard it from a woman named Mary Ukalat, who is an Inuit woman. And when are we she- doing two native stories? We are. Accidental theme? Accidental theme. Yes. Uh, and she heard it as a five-line poem that Clarissa Estes expanded into a full story, right? Okay. And I also, at the end of this, there is an animated short film that was made by a group of Irish animators in yeah. 2001 or two that is based on this story. And it's really beautiful. And I'm going to make Janie watch it um, okay. after I tell this story because it's so good. And it's also linked in the show notes for this episode. But pumped. Yeah, really, really good. So I'm going to get into it. I'm okay. probably going to cry. Okay. Get ready. Woo! There was once a beautiful girl... And she disobeyed her father. Okay. Nobody remembers how or why. All they know is that she did. Mm-hmm. And he grabbed her. No, no. And he threw her over a cliff <gasps> into the water below. And she died. Holy fuck. Mm-hmm. And she died in the water. Her body was dashed on the rocks. And what remained sank to the bottom of the water in this bay. Okay. And over the years... Fish and crustaceans ate away until she was only a skeleton at the bottom of the bay. And fishermen would no longer go to the bay because they said that it was haunted. Mm -hmm. Um, So that area was just deserted. (laughs) Finally, though, one fisherman 
is in such dire straits. He hasn't had a catch in so long. All of the other fishermen are in this area and it's just the the sea has been fished. They're overfishing. Yeah. Yeah. So he, in spite of the warnings that he's heard from locals, because he's from out of town, Mm -hmm. in spite of the warnings that he's heard from locals, he decides to go fish in this bay that is haunted. So he goes out into the bay and he very cautiously ties off his fishing hook and he tosses it into the water. Mm-hmm. And after only a few minutes, he tugs on it and it's it's something huge, yeah. right, is attached. And he feels this thing tugging back against him. And he gets so excited. He's like, this is a huge fish. Yeah. And he starts to pull it up and like pull the fishing line into his boat and everything. And he has his net ready. And he's like, I'm going to be able to feed not only myself, not only my family, but everyone like from my home for weeks. And I'm not going to have to go fishing. I'm going to be able to stay home, you know? And like, he is just so excited about this. Meanwhile, though, on the ocean floor below, Mm -hmm. his hook has caught on the rib cage of this woman. And she is struggling to get away as this hook pulls her closer and closer to the surface. Um, And she's trying to untangle herself, but the harder she tries the more it gets tangled up in between her bones and the joints and everything until she's just knotted in this massive fishing line. And the man is so excited. He's like, he's got this thrashing mass close to the surface. We turns around to grab his net Mm -hmm. while he keeps pulling. So he doesn't see as this shape crests out of the water. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read this because it's great. The hunter had turned to scoop up his net. So he did not see her bald head rise above the waves He did not see the little coral creatures glinting in the orbs of her skull. He did not see the crustaceans on her old ivory teeth. Her entire body, such as it was, had come to the surface and was hanging from the end of his kayak by her long front teeth. So he pulls her out of the water and, like, not looking, yanks her up into the kayak and her teeth stick in the wood of the kayak. Because she's still struggling. Yeah. And then he turns around and sees her. And what he sees is this skeleton that mm-hmm. is like eyeless and white staring at him with seaweed like hair yeah um just wrapped up in his fishing line and it looks like she is crawling towards him oh, and no. he freaks the fuck out yeah <laughs> and he takes the end of his oar and he hits this thing in no. the head and he paddles as fast as he can back towards shore yeah. screaming the entire time yeah and he turns to look behind him and she's still tangled in the fishing line so he can still see these bones like oh no splashing and like skimming the water behind him and he thinks that she's chasing him okay. and so he keeps paddling faster and faster and faster meanwhile she's still stuck in this fishing line being dragged behind this boat yeah. and she can't get free. And finally he keeps paddling until he gets to shore and he fully just runs his boat aground and jumps out and runs away. But he grabs his fishing pole. Oh no. Uh, because that's, you know, it's yeah. his way of life and everything. So he, he brings his fishing pole. And so even though he is running on the land now, this skeletal mass is still bumping and clattering along on the ground behind him. And again, mm-hmm. he thinks that he, she is chasing him. Yeah. And he is screaming. He's running as fast as he can across the frozen turf. And she, like, this skeletal form, her rib cage keeps picking up, like, sticks and leaves and stuff yeah. from the ground as she's rolling along. He runs through an area where people are drying meats and freezing fish. Mm -hmm. They've left things out and he (laughs) doesn't even stop. He runs straight through and she picks up little bits of frozen fish in her bones and everything tangled up in the fishing line with her. Mm -hmm. And he keeps running and he keeps running and he keeps looking back and seeing this like grinning skull clattering along behind him. 
And finally he runs and he gets to his home, which is, he reaches his snow house, mm. which goes underground. Okay. Um, away from Isn't the- that how like traditional like igloos are? They dig under the ground and they put the dome on top. Is Probably. that what this would be? I would think so. Yeah. Um, it doesn't specify in here, but it says that he went um, into the tunnel under his snow house. Okay. Uh, and he went into his house and he ran into this tunnel and he just collapsed once he was in his house. And he was like, safe, safe now. <laughs> and at this point, like in the tunnel, it is dark, right? Yeah. Because, you know, you can't have a fire in a nice tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> so it is dark. And he's like, thank God, I finally got away from that thing. And he takes a couple of minutes and he collects himself and he catches his breath. And then he takes um, a whale oil lamp. Yeah. And he lights it. And Uh-oh. he sees that this skeletal figure is still with him. She has, like, come to a rest in a pile of bones next to him, wound up in the fishing line. And he sees her. And for a second, his heart jumps. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at her. And in, like, the flickering candlelight, he sees a sort of a softness and, like, a little bit of, like, he feels pity. Yeah. Because he sees that this is, like, not a monster. Kind that of. it's tangled up and yeah. is being dragged. Yeah. And so he feels really bad for her. So he, after a moment's consideration, he leans over and he starts to untangle the fishing line. Yeah. Um, and he starts with her feet. He untangles her toes and her feet and, like, winds up the, the fishing line as he goes. And it takes him all night. And he finally yeah, gets her. Yeah, because he probably can't just cut the fishing line because yeah. you have to hand make those. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he winds up the fishing line. It takes him all night to get her untangled, right? Mm-hmm. And finally he gets her untangled. He puts all of her bones in the right place where they belong. Mm-hmm. Uh, because her, it says that when she came to a rest at the bottom of the tunnel, I'm going to read this because it's really cool. It says, uh, she had one heel over her shoulder, one knee inside her rib cage, and one foot over her elbow. So she's just this jumbled mass of yeah. bones. Slowly he reached his grimy hands and using soft words like a mother to a child, began to untangle her from the fishing line. Um, so he just starts talking to her and he's like, hey, it's okay. I'm really sorry. And he's untangling her and it takes all night. Mm-hmm. And he gets all of her bones back in the right place. And then he's like you're probably cold. And so he wraps her up in furs yeah. uh, and he just sits next to the fire with her all wrapped up in furs. The fire starts to gutter low. And so he uh, takes the flint from his leather cuff mm-hmm. and he takes a little bit of his hair and he uh, stokes the fire. So it'll stay. And then slowly he sort of falls asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, the skeleton is sitting there wrapped in furs and she is too terrified to speak. Yeah. And this is, fucking heartbreaking and she in the furs uttered not a word she did not dare lest this hunter take her out and throw her down on the rocks and break her bones to pieces utterly oh no (laughs) oh that's so upsetting yeah oh no max (laughs) i know why (laughs) (laughs) yeah so he's wrapped up He's wrapped her up in all of these furs and he goes to sleep in a pile of skins and she's just watching him in the firelight. And it says like, you know, sometimes when you're sleeping and for whatever reason, and you can never really know the reason, but sometimes like a single tear escapes. So he's sleeping and his features soften and she watches him in the firelight and a single tear escapes from the corner of his eye. Mm -hmm. And suddenly she feels this gnawing thirst inside of her oh no and she leans in close and she drinks of the tear the single tear was like a river and she drank and drank and drank until her many years long thirst was slaked 
Uh oh. So she leans in and she like drinks this tear and like this feeling yeah. of him pitying her and like caring know, for caring her. at all. And then she comes in closer and she gets under the skins with him. Oh no. And she reaches her arm around and she takes hold of his heart. Oh no. Um, his beating heart, uh, it calls it the mighty drum. She takes hold of his heart and she takes it in her hands and she beats on the sides of it, um, making like a, a drum sound. Boom, boom, boom. And she sings to herself. She sings flesh, 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 which this is a beautiful story and that's terrifying. <laughs> All of this is so scary, Max. Yeah. She starts singing. And as she says, flesh, 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 skin starts to appear on her body again. And she starts to be formed back into a person. And she sings for hair and good eyes and nice fat hands. Uh, everything a woman needs. So she sings herself back That's into being. Right. Every woman needs nice fat hands. Okay? Yeah. It's, that was, as someone who I has well fat hands. Endowed. <laughs> yeah. As someone who has fat hands, I was like, oh, ow. <laughs> that was really nice. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, also, flesh, 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 flesh. And her, like, body starts Is she holding his in. actual heart? Yes. Huh. It's okay. Okay. She Is it okay? Because into- I don't like this. <laughs> she starts to form back into her full yeah. living self. Uh, and she sings and she beats on his heart like a drum mm-hmm. until she is whole. Yeah. Uh, and then she continues to beat the drum. And this is a little bit fucked up, okay. possibly. She continues to beat on the drum and she beats into it a song that removes all of his clothes. And then she climbs into the skins with him. Oh, no. And they sleep skin to skin with each other. Sure. Uh, and he puts his, she puts his heart back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, she returned the great drum, uh, his heart to his body. And that is how they awakened, wrapped one around the other, tangled from their night together in another way, a new and good and lasting way. So they fuck. <laughs> um, and they're like, together. And she's whole again. And they fall in love and they spend the rest of their lives together. They say that people don't remember her life before, her first life. Yeah. Nor do they remember how that first life ended. All they know is that the two of them are together and they're happy and that they are never hungry because all of the creatures of the sea that she spent her time in the ocean... Feeding. Feeding. They take care of them forever. Aww. And this story broke my fucking heart because it's just the idea of, like... Her being a skeleton and, like, fighting to stay at the bottom of the ocean and being pulled up and being terrified and, like, being, like, rolled behind this man against her will and, like, being so afraid to speak or to do anything, even in the face of, like, all of this kindness. And then finally having the confidence to, like, get what she needs, I guess. It is such a beautiful and surprising metaphor for being healed by another person. Yeah. You know, like, just the idea of, like, if you hear this all the time of, like, people who come out of, like, you know, as victims of, like, domestic violence and how scary it is to be in a new relationship and then in that new relationship just constantly being, like, kind of lifted up and having somebody constantly, like, just build you back up again, even though that's not another person's job to do. No, but, but just the idea of being trust. in a partnership where it just constantly builds your confidence back up, you know, like, where you're like, okay... It's so uh, it's such a surprising metaphor to hear from like an ancient like source kind of you know like this doesn't feel yeah. like a modern story. 
And also, there was just, it's so powerful to start it off with nobody knows what she did to disobey him. Because that doesn't fucking matter. No. Because you there's nothing you can do that it would make any sense for a father to treat his daughter like that. Yeah. Ugh. No, absolutely. It's very profound. Oh, oh, my God. I love it so much. And also the idea of, like, it's also not as though, like, he isn't there to save her necessarily. Like, he doesn't mean to take her out of the water. Yeah. He, like, unravels her. But he also doesn't know that she's, like, alive in some sense. Yeah. Um, He's just. He thinks she's a monster. Yeah. And it's also, it's not like he's like, let's get you some skin. It's like she, just the beating of his heart while he sleeps is all it takes to make her whole again a little bit. Which is really like, she's able to take that strength and make it her own. um, Which is really beautiful. And the setup for the story within Women Who Run With the Wolves, Clarissa Estes talks about, she's like, the idea of within every romantic relationship, there is the presence of death. Of like the lady death. And not literally like mortality deaths always but also like the the deaths that happen in our lives like the things that we let go of or that we lose Mm -hmm. um and the changes that we have to make and like sort of the the way that like more so the like the almost like the tarot card idea of death of being like a change where sometimes you know it's uncomfortable but sometimes something has to go for something else better yeah it's just it's really good it also um she d- talks about it as also like the cycles required of, you know, the ebb and flow and the give and take to create a lasting love of each of them takes something from the other to a certain degree and they do it with care and they do it in a way that doesn't hurt each other. But it's I, it's a lot of like she reads into it very far, but also I, I think it's true. Yeah, this just fucking broke my heart. <laughs> yeah, it's very, again, it feels very modern in a way and very profound. Yeah. Oh, so if you want, I'll show you the animated film, and it's absolutely gorgeous, and okay. everyone should watch it. We're gonna come back after we watch that. Yeah, we'll be right back. <laughs> Theme music. Do 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 do. We are uh, back from watching that little animation. It is from Darkness on YouTube, and it was so beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. I will say, I. I'm really happy to have heard you tell the story before we watched that, because there are some parts of the story that just come across as really creepy. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, her <laughs> sneaking up on him, and I was like, no, no, don't touch him. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, consent is real, and it goes both ways. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, it's... But knowing the story mm-hmm. beforehand made it really meaningful. Yeah, it's also the way that they depicted it in the animation is a little bit less jarring than like, oh, she reached in and took out his heart and yeah. then be on it like a drum. It's like, like she a had all of her skin element of her reaching in. Mm-hmm. There's like light shining out. It's very soft. Uh, the animation style, the illustration style, reminds me a little bit of how they drew Pacha. In yes, I was thinking that <laughs> the Emperor's New Groove. Mm-hmm. It's also very like Gendy, Tar- Gendy Tarkovsky Samurai Jack kind of. Yes, and a little bit Proud Family. Her mm-hmm. at the end reminded me of the animation style in The Proud Family. Yeah. It's really beautiful animation. But also... <laughs> yeah, also they didn't terrifying. make them... They didn't make her stick skinny. Like, she had some curves. Yeah. Uh, you will see... By the way, if you're like, I'm going to watch this with my children, you do see full nudity in this. Mm-hmm. That sounded like a joke as I said it. But you you do see, like, you see, like, pubic hair and stuff on her. It's yeah. not in any way sexual. But just if you're going to... It's an animation, for sure. And yeah. if you're thinking about watching it around your kids... 
That's just that's the first Something image you see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But beautiful. It was a beautiful little animation. They did a really good job. Yeah. And it's simple. Mm-hmm. Very, very simple. I also I really like again, this is a story that has like creepiness to it. And that's also depicted in the animation of like her crawling towards him is scary. Yeah, she un- she's the one that untangles her own bones and mm-hmm. it's really fast. Yeah. Uh, and it's very, very scary. And I think like I do think that that's a little bit a part of the story. And it's also a little bit of like a, she's not scary and she's not bad just because she's dead. Yeah. Sort of thing where it's like, if this was a different situation, it wouldn't be as scary. And there's nothing inherently scary about a skeleton or about a dead woman, you know? And I, I did, I came into the story. I saw the title, the skeleton woman. And I was like, that sounds Great. Spooky. And I kept expecting, like, it to be a monster story, and it never was. And I thought that was really cool, you know? It just really simply, in a very simple and sad way, I think, showed the effects of, like, PTSD and trauma and stuff like that in such a quick, sad way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well... (laughs) <laughs> I hope you guys are all efficiently bummed. <laughs> yeah, efficiently bummed. Efficiently bummed. <laughs> That's going to be our new shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, excellent. Well, Max. Janie. Great. The native episode <laughs> where we scream and cry. <laughs> and cry. Yeah. All um, the feelings. If you guys have any thoughts on this or you want to see some of the pictures or you want to see anything that we've mentioned here, you can join us on Instagram or on TikTok, which rarely gets updated. Or um, in, you can email us at sortofthestory at gmail.com or you can go to our website where we have these stories listed and they're all sourced so you can just find them. Yeah. And, and also join our Patreon and the Discord. Join our Patreon and the Discord. Can you tell we've got – we've like this really put us in an introspective mood. Now we're just sitting here like, wow. Oh. Much wow. to consider. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and go watch the animation. We're going to put the link on our Discord so that they can go watch it when this episode drops. But mm-hmm. let us know what you thought. And uh, yeah, Max, another one for the books. 85. Woo woo. 85. Yeah. We have not figured out yet what we want to do for episode 100. We want to maybe have a little party. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we've, we've thrown that idea around. We want to get the 100 balloon. Maybe eat 100 cupcakes. <laughs> maybe throw up 100 times. We haven't figured Ooh. it out yet. <laughs> maybe dress up like 100-year-olds. <laughs> oh. And then do a race. <laughs> oh. We adopt 100 Dalmatians. <gasps> and a bonus. <laughs> and a bonus episode. Uh, 101 Dalmatian. Uh, let us know what you think we should do on the Discord, please. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we love you and we hope you have a great week. Yeah. Or else. Or else. Goodbye. Bye. What's new for the test? Or tell me a joke or do something smart. (laughs) Wow. No pressure though, right? No, no. I just need to do something brilliant or hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, I have no idea. I'm lost. (laughs) Um, You do something funny. Okay. Right now. Okay, hold on. Make a joke. (laughs) Make a joke, funny man. (laughs) My kids give me jokes every day too and I can never figure it out. I had a third grader give me a joke that was, knock, knock. And I was like, who's there? And he goes, no, say, hello, cow. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you start over then. He was like, knock, knock. And I was like, hello, cow. And he's like, hello. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the joke. (laughs) That's a really good joke. (laughs) All right, we'll get in the class. (laughs) You just wasted everybody's time. (laughs) Welcome. Hello, cow. (laughs) Knock, knock, hello, cow. Hello. (laughs) Hello.
<laughs> I feel like that they were trying to do the interrupting cow. They were. <laughs> Hello, but it's just a really polite cow. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he wasn't even doing a knock-knock joke. He just wanted to say hi <laughs> and be a cow that day. Hey, what's up? Who knows? <laughs>